You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. Hello, welcome to Japan Meets. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my good guests. My guest today is Cinzia Mesorella, who is in charge of PR and communication at Kobe Shushinkan Breweries in Hyogo Prefecture. Hyogo is the home of Nada no Sake. It means sake from Nada, and it's synonymous with great sake. And Kobe Shushinkan Breweries was founded in 1751, and its award-winning brand, Fukuju, has been served at Nobel Prize dinners several times since 2008. And Kobe Shinkan is also known for its sustainable-minded sake production. And last year, it released the world's first carbon-free sake called Fukuju Junmai Eco Zero. And Cinzia is from Italy, and since 2019, she's been playing a precious role in Kobe Shinkan's global communication. And she's also a certified sake specialist. So today we'll discuss how Jinsia became the PR representative at the traditional sake brewery, what makes sake from Nada so special, Kobe Shinkan's sustainable production philosophy, its award-winning labels, and much, much more. But before you start, Japan is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as, well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please, so please go to iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify, whichever you listen to, and subscribe to Japan Eats. And we, please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's uh, a conversation with Cynthia Mesorella. Hello, Cynthia. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And uh, thank you for staying up so late. Uh, it's mid- in midnight <laughs> in Japan. So thank you. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, you are from Italy. So which part of Italy are you from? And what did you eat when you grew up? Yes, I am from a small town uh, near Ascoli Piceno, uh, which is a city from the Marche region on the eastern coast of central Italy. Uh, I grew up in the countryside, so it's a very rural area. And my grandparents, they were farmers, uh, so we ate our own homegrown vegetables. Uh, we also had chickens, so there were always fresh eggs. Uh, I grew up eating homemade meals uh, made mostly by gran- my grandmother as my parents were out for work all day. Mm, right, sounds like a dream <laughs> land. Everybody <laughs> loves Italian food. And that's like a, like a classic Italian dining table. So that's amazing. Yes, <laughs> thank right. you. Yeah, so um, so you joined Kobe Shushinkan in 2019. Uh, so could you tell us why you went to Japan and uh, decided to work at uh, such a traditional sake brewery? 
Yes, uh, I went to Japan to learn Japanese. Uh, I wanted to use Japanese uh, for work, and the only way to reach a level high enough to use uh, for work was studying in Japan. So I came here, I attended uh, Japanese language school for a year and a half. And at first, my objective was to learn Japan Japanese uh, and then go back to Italy and work there. But uh, after a while, uh, I felt comfortable living here in Kobe and decided to look for a job here in Japan. So I did the usual shushukukatsudo, uh, uh, the activity to look for a job here in Japan. Um, and I went to job fairs, I did many interviews, but I didn't really feel like I met the right company. Uh, but then at a job fair here in Kobe, I met Kobe Shinkan. And it was fate, I think. It just clicked. Uh, they were looking for uh, staff that was able to speak not only English uh, to welcome our guests from overseas, but also Japanese, since most of our customers, uh, they're Japanese, and uh, being able to do customer service in Japanese was uh, essential for the company. And mm. I found the job really interesting because I would be able to uh, not only learn about sake, which is one of the pillars of Japanese traditional culture, but also make use of my language skills uh, while meeting people from all over the world. So it was really, really interesting. Mm. Right. For uh, listeners, I've never spoken to Cynthia in Japanese. It's amazing. Uh, you, you can tell uh, if she's from Italy or Japanese, grew up in Japan. It's really perfect. So I'm very impressed. And uh, yeah, so I, I heard also that at the beginning, you are interested in Japanese anime. That's how you got into Japanese culture, right? Yes. Uh, I really like Japanese anime and what um, the the what made me uh, want to learn uh, Japanese at first was uh, being able to understand anime without subtitles. <laughs> mm. So that was the start. Uh, but then I grew interested uh, in the culture and language itself. Mm, right, and a dip into sake. That's probably, like you said, <laughs> it's one of the deepest areas of Japanese culture. So I think Japanese sake industry got lucky to have you. So, Thank you. Yeah, and then, so what does your typical day look like at uh, Kobe Shushinkan? So I have been working at the brewery's shop since my start in uh, 2019. Uh, and last year, I also became part of the public relations team. So I don't really think that I have a typical day. Uh, I mean, some days I work at shop, serving customers, uh, serving sake tasting, doing brewery tours, um, helping with the management of the shop. And some other days, instead, I do translation work um, or interpreting. Uh, I handle or set up interviews uh, or participate in meetings. So every day is different. And this is one of the aspects that I really enjoy about my work. 
Right. Well, I can hear that. <laughs> right. So, and then we'll get into uh, Kobe Shinkan Saki in a moment, but uh, let's talk about Nada first because Kobe is Nada. That's like synonymous with each other. And so, what exactly, where exactly is Nada first? So, uh, Nada is an area, a district uh, of Kobe. Uh, but it doesn't end in Kobe. Uh, it is also, uh, it stretches up to Nishinomiya City, uh, and it is widely known, as you said before, as Japan's best place for sake brewing. Uh, so uh, a little bit of like geography for um, people that don't really know much about Japan. Uh, so Kobe is a port city, uh, in the center of Japan, uh, about 15 minutes by train west from Osaka, which is the Japan's uh, second largest city, and about 30 minutes uh, from Kyoto also. So Nada uh, being near the coast and also blessed with high quality rice and water uh, became the core of sake brewing uh, during the Edo period in the 17th uh, 17th century, yes. Mm. Uh, at the time, yeah, at the time, uh, the demand for sake from Edo, which is the current Tokyo, uh, shot up to its rapid growth. Uh, it was growing very uh, rapidly and the demand for sake was very high at the, at the moment. Uh, so being really a uh, port city was a uh, very, very favorable position uh, to become a uh, very favorable, favorable spot for uh, exporting sake. Mm, right. Yeah, that's interesting. Like Kyoto is uh, the place of like imperial culture and Osaka is for commerce for, you know, ordinary people. And Kobe is, uh, like you said, it's an port city. So it's still a very distinctive and kind of Western-minded culture as well as very traditional, like where you are at the Kobe Shoshinkan. So, yeah, it's such an interesting contrast between the three cities. And uh, yeah, that's that's so that's basically Nada. So they say that the secrets to the superior quality of sake from Nada, Nada no sake, are the water and the rice. So could you tell us about them? Yes, uh, the rice. Uh, first, the rice is um, grown on Mount Rocco, which is the mountain behind Kobe. And the Mount Rocco geographical features and the weather also uh, create what is called uh, Rocco terroir, uh, almost like wine terroir. And here in Mount Rocco, uh, high quality Yamada Nishiki rice can be grown. Yamada Nishiki is a variety of rice, uh, which is considered to be the king of rice for sake brewing. And its grain is bigger than most varieties of rice. And it also has a uh, big shimpaku, which is the starch core. And these are some of the aspects that makes it very good for sake brewing. And we are contracted with several farmers uh, from the Oso district of Kita Ward, uh, of Kobe to obtain uh, high quality Yamada Nishiki rice. And as for the water, uh, it is called Miyamizu. Miyamizu is an underground spring from Mount Rocco, uh, and it's very, very rich in minerals like potassium and calcium. Uh, these are very good uh, for um, 
because they are nutrients for the yeast. But the best part of miyamizu is uh, is low iron content. So iron uh, would affect uh, the color and may cause uh, undesirable flavors in the sake. So having a very low content, uh, iron content, uh, is very good for sake brewing. And Miyamizu is a hard water by Japanese standards, and the resulting sake is dry. Uh, but at Kobishinkan, we blend Miyamizu with pure water to achieve an elegant and refined flavor. Hmm, interesting. Right. Well, that's good to know because now that is people say it's like a sake of men, and whereas like somewhere <laughs> like in Niigata, it's like a soft water. It's more like a female. They describe kind of like a structural strength or mouthfeel. So yeah, I didn't know that. So that's interesting. You blend uh, and the balance yes. the hard hardness of water. Okay. So, so that's nada. So we'll take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we'll divide, dive into Kobe Shushinkan's inspiring carbon neutral sake production. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese ship knives and restaurant supplies. Koin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American, and that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Koin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view the exquisitely designed tableware and the wireless natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table, so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. Welcome back, you're listening to Japan Eats on Heritage Radio Network, HRN. I'm your host, Akikotema, and my guest today is Cynthia Nesorella, who is the in charge of PR and communication at Kobe Shushinkan Breweries in Hyogo Prefecture. So let's talk about Kobe Shushinkan. So Kobe Shushinkan was founded in 1751, and it's been making high-quality sake for over 207 years. So what is the sake-making philosophy of Kobe Shushinkan. Yes, our uh, philosophy is uh, brewing delicious sake without environmental impact. So pollution and climate change pose uh, both short and long-term risk risks uh, because they threaten the stable procurement of high-quality rice and water, and also we also need uh, rice. Uh, in not, all, not only uh, high quality, but also in large quantity. So um, the, the climate change would pose a really huge risk. And this may, may mean the end of our brewery. The continu- continuity of operation uh, would be in danger. So we still maintain the ancient tradition of sake brewing, but we also integrate 
innovation. Uh, we have implemented over the years, we have implemented uh, the latest technologies to preserve water and energy, and we, while at the same time maintaining these our standards for high-quality sake brewing. Mm, right. So that commitment to sustainability, so it sounds like, you know, the more we are aware of global warming and all those ecological concerns, um, sounds like the Kobe Shushinkan became more uh, committed to the sustain, sustainable uh, kind of mindset. So when did it begin, like 10, 20 years ago? Uh, well, uh, com well uh, compared to uh, other countries, Japan is a bit late in promoting sustainability. Uh, however, I believe that Kobe Shishinkan has been one of the first breweries uh, to start what we call our sustainability journey. And we began uh, selling what is called in Japanese hakaryuri uh, over 20 years ago. So this hakaryuri is sake on demand. Uh, so we fill the bottles uh, upon requests from, from our customers uh, at the shop. So the first time you have to pay a fee for the bottle, uh, then you bring it home, you drink it, and you wash it, and then you bring it back to the shop. And we fill it again. So in this case, from the second time on, you don't have to pay a fee for the bottle, just the sake that you buy. That is good on the wallet of our customers, and it's it also uh, good for the environment. So mm. this was over 20 years ago. Uh, but we have come a long way uh, since, since then. And over the last 15 years, uh, as I was saying before, we installed uh, energy and water saving equipment. And uh, we also have been making donations towards the preservation of the natural environment of Mount Rocco. And we also uh, started uh, new collaboration projects to promote sustainability, uh, and in particular to promote sustainable farming methods. For example, uh, the adoption of remote sensing by drone to manage rice cultivation. So uh, thanks to the drones, uh, the farmers can check the areas but where uh, more fertilizers uh, is needed for example. Uh, we also promote the use of recycled phosphorus as fertilizer. And the recycled phosphorus come, come from the sewage of Kobe City. And mm. We also have many other uh, ongoing projects and initiatives, uh, for example, restore the um, uh, rice paddies uh, that have been abandoned um, over the years uh, because of the uh, aging population and the migration from the countryside to the city. So these uh, rice paddies have been abandoned and now it's they've become bamboo forests. So we are collaborating with a local uh, ONG to restore these right rice paddies and to cultivate uh, rice mm. uh, for wow. sake brewing. Mm. So it's far beyond just uh, making <laughs> sustainable sake. It's kind of converting the whole community, creating a new ecosystem kind of thing. 
Yes, we promote also the local production, local consumption. So we have strong uh, connections uh, to the local community. Mm -hmm. Right. Wow. I'm very impressed. So, <laughs> yeah. So the, um, so by the way, the Kobe Shushinka makes different types of sake and uh, Fukuju Junmai Ginjo is the one that has been served at the noble banquets and uh, that is noble uh, press dinners and several times in the past, uh, since 2008. So that's a big achievement. So how <laughs> do you describe its taste? of uh, the Fukuja Junmai Ginjo, and how did it get to the Nobel Prize dinner tables? Uh, so our Fukuja Junmai Ginjo, which is also known uh, overseas as uh, Fukuja Blue Label, uh, it has a sweet, fruity aroma of apricot and yellow peach, uh, and a deep, rich flavor and rice umami. It is a medium dry sake, uh, very easy to drink, especially for people that are not used to Japanese sake or don't really drink much. And we usually recommend you drink it in a wine glass so you can enjoy more the fruity aroma. Uh, as to how it got to be served at the Nobel Prize Banquet, uh, it was uh, thanks to a fateful encounter in 2006 with uh, Mr. Oke Nordgren. Uh, he is a Swedish sommelier and sake expert. And his passion for Japanese sake and his appreciation for our Jumaginjo uh, led us to begin exporting to Sweden. And after uh, Mr. Uh, Norgren uh, proposed our Jumai Ginjo to other experts uh, that, are, that they were related to the Nobel Prize Banquet, and our Jumai Ginjo received very high appreciation from these experts. So when in 2008, uh, four Japanese people were recipients of the Nobel Prize, uh, Fukuju Blue Label was Jumeginjo was served for the first time at the official ceremony, and since then uh, it was served several times uh, whenever a Japanese won a Nobel Prize, which is quite often. I <laughs> I, I, I saw. <laughs> mm, right. Well, that's great. So yeah, that sounds like the sake uh, really is friendly with any kind of. Food, because I don't think uh, food of us is Japanese cuisine served at uh, Noble Banquet. So, yeah, the congratulations. <laughs> yeah, um, it, is, it is very easy to pair with both Japanese cuisine and Western cuisine as well. Right. Okay. And now you have a new product called Fukuju Junmai Eco Zero, which was released in 2022, that's last year. And so this second has been receiving multiple awards in Japan and globally for its sustainable approach. So what is Fukuju Junmai Eco Zero? So Fukuju Junmai Eco Zero is a Junmai sake uh, that pursues uh, a very natural taste. So it not only achieves uh, zero carbon emissions, um, but also aims to further reduce environmental impacts. So first, uh, as I was saying, uh, it is brewed from a carbon neutral uh, brewing process, but also uh, we decided for the first time to brew a sake 
uh, Jumai sake with an 80% polishing of the rice. So in Japanese, uh, the polishing ratio is called uh, semai buai, and it's usually very easy to understand, but when we translate into English and we say a polishing ratio of 80%, we tend to understand that 80% is polished away and only 20% remains. Now, that is something that gets lost in translation because it's actually, actually the opposite. So 20% is polished away and only 80% remains. So usually uh, up to last year, our Jumai Sake was 70% uh, polishing. So we polished away 30%. So we decided to reduce uh, the um, polishing time and stop at 80%. So we uh, lower, uh, reduce the environmental impact because it takes less time, so there's less energy consumption. Also, uh, we adopted uh, what is called kyokai dried yeast. So by using dried yeast, we can uh, skip the shubo making process. So shubo making, shubo is uh, in Japanese, uh, written in kanji is like the, the mother of the sake. So it's a very important step where we grow the population of yeast uh, that's after, uh, later used uh, in the fermentation process. So by using dry yeast, we don't need to make shibo. So we can shorten the brewing process by seven days. This is also uh, less energy consumption and reduce uh, environmental impacts. And also uh, the bottle itself uh, is very eco-friendly. Uh, we don't use uh, a paper label. We print directly on the bottle. So uh, we also use uh, lead-free ink. Uh, and also, so the bottle is green, but it's actually transparent. So we apply coating to the bottle and that later can be recycled more easily. So this is a eco-friendly bottle that also convey the Fukuju brand, uh, deliciousness and quality. So it's not just carbon neutral sake, it also have other several features uh, environmentally friendly. Mm. Well, it sounds like uh, the methods you adopted can be utilized by other breweries. So you're really presenting a good model for sustainable psychic production. So that is great. Um, so you mentioned the uh, milling rate of rice. Uh, usually, Jumai versus Daiginjo, Jumai Daiginjo, they are the difference. Uh, between how much rice is milled down. And uh, more milled down, people think that sake tend to be elegant and more delicate. But at the same time, um, less milling uh, rate means that you can really enjoy that rice flavor. So how um, does the zero carbon production affect the taste of the sake? Well, actually, uh, being carbon neutral doesn't affect uh, the flavor because... Um, the brewing process uh, doesn't change, uh, just the energy source. So there, there's no effect on the flavor of the sake. Uh, though um, in this case, uh, it, it is a, a new sake for us, uh, the first uh, Jumai at 80%. So it has um, very sharp 
uh, umami and it's dry sake. Uh, it's very um, smooth. Uh, even though it's dry, it's less polished, but it's also a very uh, smooth umami. So it's very nice uh, to mm. drink both cold or warmed up. Right. Oh, that's perfect. So, yeah, if as far as the, the sake taste still remains as great as before and also it can be really sustainable, that's amazing. And hopefully you're going to make more <laughs> the sustainable version of maybe the ginjo or ginjo. Uh, for the noble banquet in the future? <laughs> well, actually, uh, so this Eco Zero is like our first new carbon neutral sake, but uh, we have become carbon neutral for the entire brewing process. So the sake that we are brewing right now is also carbon neutral. So we still have some uh, stock from last year, and but I believe... Uh, between February and April, we'll be able to switch to the new sake completely. So all of our products will be carbon neutral. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. And then are the zero carbon product, uh, the product, um, the Eco Zero, available outside Japan too? Uh, not at the moment, not yet. Uh, it's a new product, but we are uh, introducing uh, the new sake to our importers from overseas, and hopefully there will be some demand. Mm, right, I, I can expect uh, it's going to be very uh, highly demanded sake. I really want to try that too. So I look forward Thank to you. having it in, in New York. Um, so what, is, what are the Kobe Shoshinkan's plans for sustainable future? I mean, this, it must be really a lot of stuff going on there. <laughs> yes. So um, we have become uh, carbon neutral for the brewing process. So uh, scope one and scope two are carbon neutral, but um, the supply chain uh, is different. So we are working towards making the entire supply chain carbon neutral. This is a target for 2030. And we are also contemplating uh, installing solar panels. And we also want to start brewing uh, sake from 100% organic rice. So by using organic rice, we can reduce environmental impact. And we also plan to increase the ratio of organic and low impact uh, ingredients for our sake brewing. Mm, right, amazing. So I think also you are influencing um, the other breweries in the sake industry as well as your local community. So yeah, please keep me posted. I'm very curious about this. And uh, also, of course, um, thank you. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And then the Kobisho Shinkan is open to the public, right, by appointment now. Okay. So what can visitors experience, and uh, who visits Kobisho Shinkan? Yes, so uh, the uh, tour uh, of the brewery uh, requires a prior reservation. Uh, now, because of COVID, we uh, do not uh, accept reservation for different people at the same time. So if you come for a tour, uh, it's just you and your group. Uh, so you wouldn't, wouldn't meet uh, stranger people uh, together on the tour. 
that's uh, safer from a, a COVID point of view. Uh, also, um, th that's true for Japanese uh, guests and also uh, overseas uh, guests. And so the tour uh, includes a video about sake brewing, uh, which is available in Japanese, English, and Chinese. And then there's a tour of the facility to a glass paneled corridor. An English guide, uh, myself or uh, one of my colleagues, um, can be available upon request. And then there's tasting of several of our sake. So this is the standard tour. And we also have pamphlets in 16 languages to cater uh, to as many people as possible. So um, after reopening, uh, the reopening of the international tourism, uh, we are seeing a lot of foreign customers. Uh, we are not yet at the levels from before COVID, but we believe that we are going to exceed uh, the, those numbers uh, from Iran. Many uh, customers from overseas really uh, want to come to Japan now, I hear. So uh, we expect uh, many, many foreign customers. And we also have a Japanese traditional restaurant on the premises called Sakabayashi. And here our guests can enjoy uh, Kaiseke Ryori, uh, which is the traditional uh, course meal. Uh, which is made with seasonal fresh ingredients. So you can really have a full uh, Japanese traditional experience at Kobushishinkan. Mm, right. And I looked up the map. It's uh, fairly easy to get there, right? Because uh, it's not in the middle of uh, you know, nature. So it's a city kind of brewery. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, it's in the city. And uh, the closest uh, train line is the Hanshin line and from Ishigawa station you just have to walk about eight minutes to reach uh, Kobe Shinkan. Mm, nice. Okay, so I'll be there next time I visit Kobe for sure. I'll be waiting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, what are your plans and dreams uh, for you personally in 2023 and beyond? Well, uh, I am not the type to that can easily answer what where do you see yourself in 10 years for example uh, I, I i have no idea <laughs> uh, i mean uh, 10 years ago i would have never thought not in a million years that i would be living in japan or working at the sake breweries or being a guest for an american radio program that was not in the picture but here I am. So uh, I don't know what I will be doing. Uh, well, what I know is that I like my job right now. I like what I'm doing and I would like to continue on this path and see what's up for me. Right. <laughs> mm, yeah. I, I totally agree. I, I'm like, I can't plan because <laughs> life is unpredictable in a good way. So, yeah, I'm sure. Um, the yeah. world's going to keep opening for you, so I can tell. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, so where can we find your updates online and on social media? Yes, uh, we have a um, multilingual website, which is called enjoyfukuju.com. Uh, you can choose your uh preferred language. language. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook uh, as uh, shishinkan.fukuju for the Japanese version or uh, 
Fukujusake for our English page. Uh, the English page uh, is not very much updated, but we are working towards uh, maintaining uh, regular uh, updates. And the shop um, also has an Instagram page, uh, which is called Shishinkan uh, underscore Toumyogura. T-O-U-M-Y-O-U-G-U-R-A. Okay, right. And uh, so we have a, a YouTube channel that's Fukuju1751 and uh, Twitter, it's at uh, Shushinkan, S-H-U uh, yes. underscore S-H-I-N underscore K-A-N. So, and if you just look up your listeners, uh, Fukuju, F-U-K-U-J-U, uh, you're going to find it. It's a beautiful bottle of sake. So, yeah, there, there's so many ways to find the information. So, okay, so thank you so much for joining us today, Jinsia. Thank you for having me. Right, so keep me posted and hopefully you can come back for the updates. Of course. Of course. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for short, short topics or guests, please contact us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or akikwatema.com. Japanese is a weekly program and it's always available at heritageradionetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer is Matt Patterson and thank you for listening. I will see you next week. Japanese is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.